Open your Bibles with me to the book of John, chapter 10. And I'm going to read one verse that's going to become kind of a theme verse for the next couple of weeks. I'm preaching on the power of giving. And as you guys know, if you've been attending Fountain of Life for any amount of time, I don't preach on these subjects. Hardly ever do I talk about giving. I warned you last week that I would be dealing with this this morning. So for those of you who only attend church once a year, sorry. You got to come back and hear the rest of what we do. But uh, there, is, there is powerful biblical truths about giving. And a major portion of the Bible deals with the subject of giving. So I just want to lay it out there and, and throw the revelation at you this morning. And it's going to be something that will really bless your life. And uh, I, I just, this is going to be a blessing. John 10, 10. Jesus said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The great missionary evangelist T.L. Osborne said this was the gospel in one sentence. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Contextually, he's talking about the Pharisees and the false shepherds of Israel. But we can apply it as well, I think, to Satan and his work. He comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. But contrasting to that is Jesus' ministry. He says, I've come to give you life. And I came to give it more abundantly. Or as the NIV says, to the full. I come to give it to the full. And that abundance is just overflowing super abundance. So I don't think the Christian life is supposed to be a boring, bummer type of existence. I think it should be the most exciting, coolest thing ever. Amen? I think it should just be supercharged with blessings and joy and You've got, you're just ready to do whatever God says. You're ready to help people. You're ready to love on people. You're ready to overcome any challenge because you have God in your heart. You don't respond like the world does, like those who have no hope. You have hope in you. You have blessing in you. You've got abundance flowing out of you. Come on, man. People should get around you and be encouraged. They should get around you and be blessed. So God has come to bless us, and I'm not ashamed of that. God has come to bless us. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus now, chapter 19. And I, and I knew this was in the Bible, but I'd never really related it to giving, and I'm going to steal an idea from the legendary AG missionary Charles Greenaway. And I preached this recently for a, uh, the Western Carolina Conference of the IPHC. I preached their global outreach rally about a month ago, and I used this text for missions. But I just had to share it with you guys as well, okay? Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9. Bible says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, and you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard, you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. God set up a way for Israelite society to survive. Before welfare, before social security, before SSI, 
before food stamps, before any of that, before Medicare or Medicaid. God set up a way for the Israelite society to survive. And it was this, agricultural society. If all of the farmers will just not harvest the edges of their crops and glean their field and leave it for the poor and the foreigners, everybody will be taken care of. Isn't that awesome? That God designed that, set it in Israelite society. And so we see this, I guess, I guess it's illustrated in the greatest way in the story of Ruth in the Old Testament. That if you know the story of Ruth, Ruth was, a, was not an Israelite. She was a Moabitess, and she met her husband in Moab, in her home country. But her husband was an Israelite from, from the town of Bethlehem. And so she married her husband, and then her husband died, his brother died, his father died. All that was left were two daughter-in-laws and a mother-in-law. So the mother-in-law named, named Naomi brought her daughter-in-laws together and said, Hey, go back to your homeland. Because you've got to think, ancient Israelite, Near Eastern society, the only way a woman could have supported herself was to be married again. So he says, go, she said, Go back to your families, live your life, be blessed. And so the one daughter-in-law did it, but Ruth didn't. Ruth, I guess Ruth loved her mother-in-law. I mean, is that possible? That's a sermon in itself, I think, right there. But she loved her mother-in-law. And then they're together, you know, and, and, and she says, I will not leave you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you lodge, I will lodge. You know, we quote that in weddings a lot, but it was really not between a man and woman. It was spoken between a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. So Ruth comes back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, knew that the, the, the only way to redeem this whole deal was to find a man in their family lineage, in, in the lineage of her husband, who could act as, in Hebrew, the Goel. And Goel in Hebrew means kinsman, means redeemer. It's a kinsman redeemer. Someone who could marry her and redeem the whole situation. So Naomi, you got to give her credit for one thing. She knew how to work a man. So she calls Ruth in and she says, listen, fix up. Get, don't look like you just crawled out of bed and get everything right. And I want you to go down to this guy named Boaz and I want you to glean in his field. Boaz was fulfilling Leviticus chapter 19 and not harvesting the edges of his crops. So the story proceeds and... Ruth goes down there and she gleans and she brought so much back. They just, because he was just kind of like favoring her a little bit. And then they had this, what I believe was a romantic encounter. And, you know, I remember years ago in, in Hebrew class sitting there arguing over what happened that night. Because there's some interesting Hebrew metaphors used. <laughs> Study it on your own. But after that night, uh, Boaz was like, I got to get married i got to make this happen. And so he says, there's one guy who's closer to her than I am. I'm going to go to the city gates, and I'm going to talk to this guy and work this deal out. So he goes to the city gates where all the deals went down. He worked it out. He, he basically got the right to marry Ruth. He comes back, marries her. They have a baby. And at the end of the book, the mother-in-law is sitting pretty. She's got it all redeemed. Her, her, her reputation had been redeemed. And why is the book of Ruth in the Bible? The book of Ruth in the Bible to tell us where King David came from. It's to show us that God preserves his covenant line. But it all is built around 
the time of the harvest and not gleaning the corners of the fields. So as I began thinking about this, I realized that's margin. God was building in margin into the lives or into Israelite society. Okay, let me show you how this works. I think it's a principle. I think it's all throughout the Bible. The principle of margin. Margin is that which is that enough being left over that you can take care of contingencies. Let's put it that way. Enough left over. And God designed society to work like this. First of all, he talks about margin in our work. God worked six days, then he took the seventh day off. And if God took a day off, I guess we should take a day off too. Matter of fact, he commands us to take a day off. It's called the Sabbath day. It comes from the Hebrew Shabbat, which means to rest. And he says, take a day off. And I believe if you look at the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, I think there actually, I think there is some descending order to the, uh, there's like a hierarchy in the commandments, I believe, because the first commandment is to love the Lord your God, have no idols. I think there's a hierarchy to the commandments. And so where does the Sabbath come in? It comes in at number four. And so evidently, It's super important to God that we have a Sabbath day. And it's not so much about the ritual of the day as it is about the principle of the day. And that is God did not design our bodies to run 365, 24-7, working seven days a week. He didn't design it. We can't handle that mentally. We can't handle that physically. God wanted us to rest. Oh, hallelujah. I'm trying to learn this. I just got back from Colorado Springs at a large megachurch called New Life and was with their pastor, uh, Brady Boyd, and his staff. And this time last year, we were with Robert Morris at Gateway Church in Dallas and their staff. And I go with a small group of guys that uh, I've been invited to, to participate in these meetings once a year with our presiding bishop. And so it was so amazing. But you know what? What I thought was interesting is Brady Boyd at New Life has written a book on, on resting, and he talked about it. And really emphasized it. Last year we was with Robert Morris. Oh, and Brady Boyd gave us that book. Last year with Robert Morris, he gave us his book called Take a Day Off. And it's about resting. And he emphasized the importance of it. Because we get so wrapped up as work, as our identity, that we forget that we're human beings. I've been guilty of that. I was brought into ministry into a, with a group that were amazing. They were phenomenal preachers, but you preached five nights a week and traveled like crazy. We went all night. I've driven from Florida to Milwaukee, Wisconsin in one trip. And our guy that we were ordained under bragged that he hadn't had a vacation in about 46, 48 years. And back then we thought it was kind of a sign of spirituality, of holiness. Man, if you want to be dedicated to the Lord, don't play around. Get with it, man. Then I realized now, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing. <laughs> it's my daughters always joke me, hey, Dad, we took a vacation like an extra day after you preached somewhere. And it's honestly the truth. So we're all trying to learn this, right? So I'm preaching to Hans, numero uno. Right? I'm, I'm the number one. So God has developed this principle 
of margin in our lives. Okay, he wants us to have margin as well emotionally. Not only physically to rest, he wants us in our physical bodies, he wants our emotional life to have margin. Fifteen times in the Sermon on the Mount, which we argue is the greatest body of ethical and moral and religious teaching ever known to man, fifteen times in that sermon, Jesus mentions, do not worry. Evidently, it's pretty important. Why? Because He knows us. We worry like crazy. But He says, take no thought for tomorrow. Because tomorrow's look at the birds of the field. They're not trying to figure out what they're going to eat tomorrow. They're not worrying about if TJ Maxx is going to be open till 10. Look at how beautiful they're dressed, man. So don't worry. So God is saying, create some buffer in your life to where you're not running at the edge all the time and stressing yourself out. Well... He wants us to have some margin spiritually too. This is what I was preaching about the past four weeks on hearing the voice of God. Take some time to dedicate to the Lord. Take some time out of your day. I challenged you guys to take 15 minutes a day and just spend some time before the Lord reading His Word, meditating, and praying. And I guarantee you God's going to start speaking to you. If you just take that time and set it aside each day. Because we, weren't, we were not meant or designed to run without ever taking time to be in His presence. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? When Jesus went to the house, Martha was working like, like crazy to get everything together and serve everyone. And Mary was just sitting at His feet. And you know how it goes. You've had family members like Mary. You come in, you're like... And I wonder what kind of looks Martha was giving Mary as the dinner was being prepared. Or going into the kitchen. But Jesus says, hey, hey, hold on, time out. Mary's chosen the better part to sit at my feet. She's actually, she knew the greater value of doing that. You know, um, so years ago, you know, I had to start, you know, just because of where I was in life, I had to start working on my own cars years ago. Now, my dad rebuilt cars for years, and he's had his used dealer's license for probably 40-plus years. So I grew up at auto auctions and around vehicles. I never got into it that much, but I can work my way around when I need to. But I started experimenting one time with, with um, different synthetic oils, and I wanted to know how long I could go without having an oil change. Because there's a theory out there that viscosity doesn't break down that easily. It's just dirt that has to be filtered out. Come on, man. But I finally just gave in and said, okay, okay. We need to change the oil when we need to change the oil. Because this vehicle isn't designed to go forever. (laughs) All the women shouted hallelujah and amen. Our bodies are the same. We're not meant to just go forever living at the emotional edge, living without any time in the presence of the Lord, pushing ourselves, and, um, and that's the way modern society has pushed us to be. Amen? I said all that to say this. There are also financial margins that God wants us to build into our lives. I think, first of all, in Scripture, I think we're not to live above our means. 
what does that mean? It means you get paid $1,000, you're not to spend $1,010. You're actually to live on less than $1,000 and save and invest some of the rest of it. Because I think he wants us to live above our live above our means, live below our means. And then number two, I think the Bible teaches us to save and invest. I know some people don't believe this or just believe that you know just just uh, like my college roommate said. He said, Hans, let's just go get us some credit cards and jack them all up and just believe the rapture is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, and I was in college in the late eighties. Yeah, that didn't work. But he was supposed to come back in 88, and we waited up for him that night. Y'all remember that? 88 reasons why Jesus will return in 1988. And guess what? He didn't come back in 1988. Because no man knows the hour, right? So anyhow, don't live above your means and then save and invest. The Bible says, Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children. It means your grandchildren. So a good man works and invests so that his grandkids will be blessed. And then the other aspect of margin is God wants us to set aside something to tithe to the work of the Lord, to give and sow into missionaries and evangelists, and then give to the poor. That's scriptural. Tithe into the storehouse sow above the tithe into ministries that you feel God leading you to and then give to the poor. Now, if you give to Fountain of Life Church tithe, we do those other things, but I challenge you to do them as well. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. So today I'm going to give you three reasons why you should give to the work of the Lord. Three reasons why you should create enough margin that you have something to give to the Lord. Okay? I've been there. Believe me, you don't even want to know. I've had the choices, do I pay tithe or do I pay my electric bill? I've been there more times than I even want to remember. I'm kind of cringing thinking about it. So I know sometimes it's difficult to make these decisions. I'm just going to lay some scripture out and you put it in your hat and deal with it. First of all, you should give because it shows or proves or displays that God really gives us everything. That everything comes from Him. It shows us that everything comes from Him. Notice Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now you've got to think Deuteronomy, God is speaking to the children of Israel, telling them about, it's, it's a Deutero, second namas, the second telling of the law. It's the second time God is telling them and reminding them why they came in and how they came into the promised land. He says in verse 10, When you have eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land He's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe His commands, His laws and His decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, the thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought 
You water out of the rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. King James, it's God who gives you the power to get wealth. So what he's saying is, when you come into the promised land and you start prospering, and you've got your crops going, and you're building your homes, you're having kids, everything's going well, don't forget then the days of your struggle. Don't forget the wilderness journey. So you know what he made them do? He made them have a festival called Passover so they would remember how they came out of Egypt. Then he had them make a festival called Tabernacles so they would remember what it was like to sleep in the wilderness in tents. To do it every year of their life so they would never forget where they came from. When we give to the Lord, we're saying, God, you gave me 100% of everything I have. It all came from you. That's a Christian's theology, a Christian's perspective. God, everything I have came from you. Now by an act of faith, I'm just giving a portion of it back to you. And this shows, this is my stamp on it. Or this is my understanding that you have stamped your seal on this and everything that I have is yours and I'm honoring you with a portion of it back. Can somebody shout hallelujah? I don't know about y'all, but I dedicate everything I get, every major purchase I dedicate to the Lord. I anoint it with oil from guitars to vehicles to motorcycles (laughs) to whatever. Maybe I did it to my coffee pot. I don't know because I really do like my coffee pot, but... I just dedicate it all to the Lord. Right? My kids bought me this pour-over. You know, you know a pour-over? They bought me the electric pour-over machine. It just, it just made me use twice the coffee. <laughs> Sorry. Everything we have came from the Lord. You say, no, 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 I worked for that. No, this is what God is saying right here. When you get to that point, And you say, no, I did it all on my own. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be because you're not recognizing the proper relationship of of you in the universe under God's sovereignty. It's like a certain governor from New York last year who got up and said, COVID rates have dropped in our state and this wasn't God that did it, we did it. You're an idiot. He doesn't understand philosophy of non-competing modalities. That just because we do something doesn't mean it pushes God out of the scene. That would be a competing modality in philosophy. What is happening is God works with us. He works with the doctors and nurses and firemen and police officers and first responders and scientists. God works with you on your job. He's working with you as you turn wrenches or as you plow fields. It's not like it's all you and not Him. No, it's all you and all Him. That's the way it works. Everything you have has come from the Lord. You need to recognize that. that, And once you do that, man, it changes your perspective on everything. Because sometimes possessions have us. We don't have possessions. 
I have an evangelist friend. I was listening to his podcast yesterday on a, on a plane ride, and uh, I loved what he said. He said, you know, I don't want possessions to have me. I want to own them. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. Matter of fact, every time somebody gets blessed, I was at somebody's house the other day. They had a brand new vehicle. I just wanted to shout with them. I'm so happy. Why? Because they're, they, they're close to me, you know, and if God's blessing, if God's if he blessing them, then he's in the neighborhood. I might be next. Oh, hallelujah. You can't have jealousy in your spirit and be blessed, man. I'm telling you. You got to get jealousy out. Where was I? My friend said, he said, I got into collecting Air Jordans, the classic Air Jordans. I mean, some of those are really worth money. So he said, I, I collected about 15 pair of them and had them in my closet and had the shoe stoppers in it to where, you know, they wouldn't wrinkle and keep them shined. And, and he said, I was proud of that, man. That's, Yes. Then he said one day, the Lord spoke to him and said, those things have you, you don't have them, give them away. So he said, I called the youth pastor and said, hey, get all the kids together who wear my size, told him the size of shoe. And he gave away all, he kept one pair. But he gave away all those classic Jordans he had in his closet. If you want to break that power of greed... You want to break that spirit of pride on you? Start giving stuff away. There's just something supernatural that happens. Something supernatural happens. Giving shows that we understand God owns it all. The second thing. Giving reminds us of what God has done for us and where we came from. Listen to Deuteronomy 26. When you've entered the land that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled it, Take some of the first fruits. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God has given you and put them in a basket. Listen to this. This is, this is amazing. Put them in a basket. Go to the place the Lord your God will choose for a dwelling place for His name. It means go to the temple. And when you go to the temple, the priest will take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar. Then you shall declare before the Lord, quote, it's like a declaration, they were to say. My father was a wandering Aramean and went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there, lived with them and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil and oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey and now I bring the first fruits of, of the soil that you Lord have given me declare that when you bring your gift then he says place the basket before the Lord and bow down before him then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things that the Lord your God has given you in your household when you finish setting aside a tenth of all your produce okay so he's saying, come and make this declaration. Today I set this before the Lord because God brought my forefathers out of bondage. And I remember 
what they told me about it and how terrible it was, and now you've brought us to this land of the living, and now I'm giving you a portion of what you have given me, Lord, and now I'm going to praise you. That's why Paul said, be a cheerful giver. Let each man give what he's determined in his heart and let no one do it out of compulsion, but let each one be a cheerful giver. God doesn't want us to be grudging givers. He wants us to come and rejoice. Hallelujah. We give Him a praise when we're able to give and bless the work of the Lord. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. One more thing as to the why. Why do we give? It eliminates fear and it challenges our faith. It fosters our faith. It, it breaks the power of fear over finances and injects faith, increases our faith. Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. You know what? We have a tendency in our lives to reap to the edge of our fields. We use everything we have. All of our money, all of our time, all of our energy, our everything, and sometimes more. And as a result, we'd have nothing left just in case in any of these areas I've outlined today. We don't have time for conversation in the middle of the day because our schedule's too jammed. And we don't have time to get to know our neighbors because our evenings are packed with activities. And we live in a margin-less world. We're reaping to the ends of our fields. And this is not how God has prescribed for us to live. It's certainly not how we should live if we expect the Lord to be giving us gospel-oriented opportunities in our day. And at some level, I don't know, at some level we're living out of fear sometimes. Fear that there's not going to be enough money. So I'm taking 100% and I'm using it for me and my family. Or I'm saving every bit of it. And I'm not going to give one thing away. I'm not going to bless anybody. You know, I was reading a book also on my trip this week by Daniel Lappin, who is a uh, Jewish rabbi. And his book on prosperity, it's called Thou Shalt Prosper. It was recommended by Dave Ramsey. So I was reading the chapter on giving. And he's writing it from a Hebrew perspective, from a Jewish perspective. And he said there have been studies that show that people who are extremely wealthy and successful in life, by and large, give huge. And it's known in the Jewish culture. He said, and it doesn't make sense. Giving doesn't really make sense. But God comes anyhow and blesses and does amazing things with our gifts. Uh, Alan Meads, who works with us on staff here, many of y'all know Alan. He's told me the story time and time again that he was raised in church, he fell away from church, and then he got married to, to his current wife, Kathy, and uh, they, they got married, and at some point he got under conviction, he gave his heart to the Lord one day in his pickup truck, and he came home and he told Kathy, you need to get saved, she gave her heart to the Lord. She hadn't been raised in church though, so in a few weeks, Alan came to her, she did the budgeting, and Alan came to her and said, we need to tithe. She said, what's tithe? We need to give 10% of our income to the church. She said, what? That's impossible. It will not work. He said, well, let's just try it. So she went in, calculated their budget, came back and showed him the paper. This is impossible. He said, well, I'll tell you what, let's do it for 90 days, and let's just see what happens. He said that was about 25 years ago. 
And they've never stopped tithing since because God has always met their needs. I just preached recently in, in the southwest Virginia, really the area where I'm from, but I preached in a town called Withville, Virginia, for a friend of mine and his church. And in Withful, he has this church, he does a thing every year. Now, I'm not doing this. I'm like not quite that bold. He, he preaches on tithing every year and does a whole series. And he gives out an agreement. And he says, if you're not tithing, why don't you do this? Why don't you try it for 90 days? If God doesn't bless you, we will refund your money. He said, Hans, it's crazy what happens. He started telling me story after story of guys that just started getting blessed and getting better job opportunities and checks coming in the mail and raises coming. Crazy stuff started happening. It doesn't make sense on paper. Malachi 3 verse 8. Y'all knew I was going to get there. Will a, will a, a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You see, the nation was, was backslidden at this point. And God was trying to call them back. And He didn't say, let's have a big prayer meeting. Or let the priest preach the word. No, He said, let's do this. Let's get this tithes and offerings thing straight. And if you do what you're co- commanded to do, then I'm going to send revival to the nation. You're under a curse. Your whole nation, because you're robbing me, bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. I don't know if there's any other place in the scripture where God says, test me or prove me. Just try it out. See if it works. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Listen. So much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And I love this. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land. Then you will be blessed. So we have a theology of giving at Fountain of Life. We've always been a very generous church. And I believe we're going to do greater. I have a pipe dream. Sometimes pipe dreams come true. I have a dream that one day we'll give a million dollars in a, in, a, in a calendar year to world missions. I, I have a dream for that. Is that possible, Hans? God, it's nothing for God. Where are you now? We're at about 200,000 now a year. So, we're on our way. I have a dream we can give a million dollars a year to missions. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I tell you another dream I have? We can build a 1,500-member sanctuary right there in that parking lot. Probably take six, seven million dollars. nothing for Elon Musk and he's not God R.W. Schambach was preaching a revival years ago in the northeast and there were so many people that got saved he went and got, claimed this building for the Lord because they need this, these people need a place to meet in church so, so he walked around that building 
claimed the Joshua every place the sole of your foot shall tread you shall have and he claimed it and then he went to see the owner who was a businessman the following day and he showed up there and the owner said okay what do you want he said I want to buy that building Shambach said I didn't have a dime the guy said well how much money do you have he said well uh, I don't have much right now but my father is loaded My father's loaded. He ended up getting the building. And they started that church anyhow. Prove me in this. We have a theology of giving. We believe that God blesses us because we get. You know, when we went through the COVID lockdown last year, we froze our budget. But I told our guys, I said, but we're not stopping supporting missionaries. We're not doing that. We're going to still give out of this thing. And we were able to give and to bless all through COVID, and God blessed us. We didn't, we didn't have, make 100% of our budget last year for the first time since I've been here, I think. But it was a COVID year. But you know what? We're debt-free right now with millions of dollars worth of properties between here and Edenton. We have now, now we're, we're reaching the nations through online stuff that I'm doing and stuff that we're doing. We're on TV every Sunday morning on three or four different networks now. God is blessed. I'm telling you what, hallelujah, we didn't have to fire anybody or lay anybody off. And, and I, I just was felt so humbled and so honored and so blessed. We were able to keep the lights on and still make coffee on Sundays. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody give the Lord a praise. Because we have a theology of giving. We believe in giving. And, and it hinges on this. It hinges on a, a, an understanding and theology of winning the lost. Because we believe in winning the lost. And when you sow into the kingdom, it's about sowing towards souls. That's the way I look at it. We need enough staff so we can win the amount of souls God wants us to win. We need enough properties and enough outreach to win the number of souls God wants us to win. We're looking at a big project in our church right now that I'm not going to unveil yet, probably until next year, but it looks like there's a, there's a, a big ministry outreach that we're going to be able to do. It's going to be huge, and we're, we have a study team working on it right now. But I met with them the other day, and I said, man, I'm for this, and I'm excited. But it will not hinder me from preaching the gospel. It's not going to become the main thing because if it hinders me from preaching the gospel, we're not doing it because that's the main thing that I'm here for. Hallelujah. I want to get as many souls to heaven with me as I can possibly get. I feel like a fireman at a house that's on fire and I'm trying to run and race and rescue everyone I can from the burning flames before the building falls. And so we want to sow towards souls. A couple of weeks ago, I had my friend Asher Mancha here, and he visited, and he, we went to the seniors luncheon here, and y'all got to see him. Asher is the head of the IPHC church in Pakistan, and he's only 39 years old, but God has given him a TV network. He has a prosperous church. He has a whole network of pastors under him. And, and I, I just, I, before he left, I blessed the man. I, I blessed him personally. I took him to the airport, and I said, hold on. You can't leave yet. I went to the ATM. And just started taking out cash. Because I just wanted to, I'm not telling that for, I don't tell stories like that, but I'm doing it for the purpose of this sermon. Because I didn't want this man of God to leave my presence not blessed. I'm not risking my life every day to preach the gospel. He is. 
He's having meetings in soccer stadiums with 80,000 people, Muslims coming, casting out demons. They've cast out the spirit of Mohammed out of numerous people. Casting out demons, seeing them set free, hallelujah. And having these festivals, he's invited me to go. Y'all pray, I want to go next year. And let's just go see a bunch of people saved for Jesus. And the money helps us get there and helps us do this stuff. Because when you get to heaven, you're not going to say, Lord, did you see my flat screen TV? Did you see the Mercedes I drove, Lord? Did you see my beach house? Man, it was killer. And there's nothing wrong with any of those, but I don't want to show up and that's all I have to show the Lord. I want to show up saying, God, you blessed me with a great life and I poured everything I had into the kingdom. I tithed faithfully. I gave the missionaries sometimes out of hurt. And God, I want to be a clean vessel. So when I preach the gospel or lay hands on the sick, the Holy Ghost and the anointing moves. I don't want any hook in me. I don't want any anything in me that Satan can hook onto a disobedience in my life. I want to be a pure vessel that God can use. Number one, I want to make it to heaven. Number two, I want to live like heaven while I'm down here on earth. Can somebody shout amen? And let me just amp it up just a little bit. I believe there's incredible prosperity coming to some of you guys. Why? Because you do things right, you work hard, and you tithe, and you give to the work of the Lord. And if you do those things, God says He's going to bless you. I believe some of you are going to get opportunities that's going to blow your mind. I believe God's going to open up doors for some of you in 2021. I've had so many doors open up for me. I've had to turn things down. I spent the past two weeks turning down about five different amazing opportunities next year because I'm trying to live with more margin in my life. But I remember a day that I was praying for anywhere to preach. I remember a day when we were so broke that I was pastoring a church and I prayed one year. I said, God, give me a revival every once a week of every month of this year so I can help support my family. And I would preach and I would paint houses and I would teach school and then I would get in my car sometimes on a Sunday evening, leave Washington, D.C. and preach like heaven, like on fire all week, get back home, do the same thing again. And sometimes to 30 people or 40 people because I had a passion for the gospel and I wanted to see my family blessed. Somebody shout amen. And and I couldn't believe people actually paid me some times to preach I pastored my first church and I told my wife hey Jackie they paid us man believe that that's amazing because when you do it for free that's when you really want to do it come on somebody some of y'all work for free you got a crown so high in heaven those of you who did nursery for about 30 years Somebody shout, I want to be blessed. Let's all stand. Thank y'all for listening to me. Three reasons why you should give. Three reasons why you should give. It eliminates fear. It breaks that begrudging fear in your life that there's not enough resources to go around. God's broken heaven. And all we have is what he's given us here in the earth room. Listen, people. There have been people who have dreams and visions of heaven. 
And one of my favorite, I've heard, and I've heard this from several different locations, is that one, you know, some people have died and gone to heaven, had these near-death experiences, so it's, this is not scripture, just take it as this, but they saw like warehouses in heaven of just body parts, just waiting for somebody to believe God for healing in their body. You know, money is only legal tender for a debt. You look on the American dollar, it says that. And so it's only as valuable as trustworthy is the government. I didn't mean that as a joke, but think about it. The, the, the dollar is only as valuable as is the government trustworthy. So when you see in some third world economies, their dollar may be worth like, it may take a thousand. I've been in places and we would cash several hundred American dollars into like 20,000 bills in the other currency. And you thought, dude, I feel like I'm playing Monopoly right now. <laughs> but it was not worth because money is just, a, it's a currency. It's just a medium that is used to relay the value and worth of the government. So, so dollar comes from a German word. Right? Herr Kramas? It comes from a German word, and they started calling it that because a certain prince was minting his own coins, and the prince was known as being super loyal and super trustworthy. And so people could trust the coins that he was minting. Why am I getting to this? Because really, we get so hung up on money, but it's just a system of transferring trust and wealth. But in the kingdom of heaven, God's currency isn't subject to any fallible government. He is ultimately trustworthy. So if he says, invest in my 401k plan. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt. But store up yourself treasures in heaven. Thank you so much for joining us online. And I hope the message was a real blessing to you. You know, eternity is a real thing. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. According to the scriptures, you spend eternity in one of two places. First of all, heaven, Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Or number two, in hell. Uh, Jesus talked about the rich man who went to hell and was in great torment. And he was begging Abraham to send someone, a messenger, to tell his family. Well, listen, you're hearing the message today. Eternity is real, and you're going to spend it in one of two places. So why don't let's decide right now me and you, that you're going to spend it in heaven. How do you do that? You accept Jesus into your heart. Open up your heart and say, Lord, come in. Cleanse me of all sin. I accept you as my Lord and take the throne of my life as yours. Okay? So let's pray right now. Just pray with me right where you are. Just repeat this. Father in heaven, I, I remove myself from the throne of my heart. And Jesus, I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. Forgive me of all sin. Wash me in your precious blood. And I accept your sacrifice for me. And I thank you, Lord, for cleansing me, 
for saving me and for accepting me. In Jesus' name I pray. Can you say amen right where you're at? Hey, thank you for joining us. And please come back, get in, get in the Word, get in the flow of the Spirit. And uh, we're just blessed to have you with us and look forward to seeing you the next time.